Hey, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Flip with me to Matthew 28. We'll be in Matthew 28. And if at any point I, uh, I am clearing my throat excessively or my, my voice just, like, I just, it just goes away, it's because I preached four times this morning. And so uh, forgive me if I'm not coherent at, at some point. Let me just uh, real quickly before we dive into Matthew 28... Let me recap what happened last week. I, I know there's a lot of new faces and people who uh, weren't aware of kind of how things are going. So let me just recap very quickly what we talked about last week. So last week, we kind of talked about what this summer holds for us. Uh, we want to create a ton of clarity around who Story Church is and what we want to become. So, and I said it in the announcements, we're, we're not yet launched publicly as a local church. Our commissioning service is coming in the fall, and then the next week uh, from Foothill Church, and then the next week we will uh, launch publicly in the fall with formal church services, including baptisms and communion and preaching and, and the whole nine yards. But this summer, what we're doing is creating utter clarity around who we are, our mission, our vision, our values, who we want to be, what we uh, want to become, who we want to reach, the whole nine yards around that. And so this summer, you're gonna. It's gonna be a deep dive, and I can I can tell already. There's a lot of people that said, "Well, I hate that guy. I'm not gonna be a part of that." And so, no, I'm just just messing. I'm just messing. Um, no, we're uh, they, no one. Come on, you guys don't hate me, right? I'm too fragile for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Um, so that's what we're going to spend some time doing, a deep dive on all of those things. And then we transitioned from kind of talking about who's involved in this and what we're going to do this summer. And we, we dove immediately into gospel centrality. We talked about the different aspects of how the gospel is centered to the life of this church. It's centered to our doctrine. It's centered on our culture. It's centered to, uh, to how we apply the gospel to our lives and the implications of the gospel in our lives. And, and so this tonight, as we transition to kind of walking through our mission statement step by step, what you need to hear is this mission statement is jumped off of and, and taken from the pages of the scripture and built upon the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, we have no hope in accomplishing our mission apart from the gospel. Uh, and if our mission ever deviates even just a fraction of an inch away from the gospel of Jesus, I fully expect all of you to either rebuke me or leave this place. If we ever leave the gospel, if we ever jump off of the good news of what God is doing in this world, I hope that you guys would come up to me and call that out. Okay? So, we talked about what's involved, what's happening, what we're doing, and then we spent a, a ton of time talking about the gospel. Is this thing fading in and out? Am I good? Can you guys hear me on this? I'm not used to a lavalier. Lavalier. All right. So tonight we're going to talk about our mission and vision more explicitly. Deep dive on that. So let me start with the why. Why a mission statement? The reality is that every Orthodox Christian church ever throughout human history shares the same mission statement, right? We all should share the same mission statement. Every conservative Orthodox Christian church ever. And here it is. Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is the mission statement, hopefully, of every Orthodox Christian church in human history. And that's, in a sense, our mission statement. It, it is our mission statement, not in a sense. It is our mission statement. Our calling is under the authority of Jesus Christ to go into all nations and make disciples to make disciples of all peoples and to not just make converts, not just, make not just grab people who are going to make trite decisions based upon emotional manipulation, but grab people who are genuinely converted and regenerated by the Holy Spirit and mature them as disciples. To teach them to obey all that is in the scriptures, to baptize them, and to keep multiplying them to the ends of the earth. This is our mission statement. This is the mission statement of every church. And we are confident not in ourselves 
and not in our mission statement. We are confident in the words of Jesus Christ and that beautiful promise he has at the end of verse 20, I am with you. We are not alone in this. God has not just kind of set Story Church in motion and then taken his hands off and said, go figure this out now. He is with us, actively with us. So this is our mission statement, but I have several other verses, several other texts in the scripture that are informing the way in which we've crafted our mission statement. In addition to Matthew 28, we also have Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Matthew chapter 22, 34 to 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he, that's Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. The great commission in Matthew 28 and the great commandment in Matthew 22. We are called primarily to love God with everything we have. We're not here to just kind of like figure out like what can we do, what can we do, what can we accomplish, but rather what we are called to do first and foremost is love God with all our heart, soul, and mind to fix our affection and our attention upon God. Everything flows downstream from that. You you know how like you've encountered people who, hey buddy, that's my son. He can run up here if he wants, I don't care. Uh, We are called... To, hey, buddy, come on. Welcome to church planting when nothing happens according to plan. Hey, dude, you, wanna, you want me to hold you or you're going to walk around? All right. You want to preach? You're not a Christian yet, so sorry. We are called to love. He will be. I'm praying for it. You know, Lord willing. We'll, ba- we'll baptize this young man one day. We are called to love God with everything we have. And the overflow of that, Jesus doesn't even miss a beat and says, love God, love neighbor. The way in which we can go make disciples and teach people and baptize them and mature them in the faith is by loving them first and foremost. We are called to love our neighbor. Hey, buddy. Love for our neighbor is the fuel for our mission. Love results in mission. John 13 tells us that truth. You just help yourself, dude. Matthew 28, hey. This is Katie, by the way. If you've not met my wife, Katie, she's incredible. (laughs) Oh, man. We're family here, right? We can do that kind of stuff. Matthew 28, Matthew 22. And then you don't have to flip there. I'll put it on the screen. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. The creation of humanity. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and, said, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, there's so much I can say about that text. That is dense. But I just, at a very high level, want to hit this. We are made in the image of God and our calling in that is to reflect God's glory throughout the earth. He says, fill the earth. Fill the earth with what? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth with image bearers who are reflecting God's glory to the end of the earth. And so the cultural mandate, as this text is called, is to glorify God in all that we do, in all that our hands touch, in all that we oversee and have dominion over. And so there's an everyday life aspect to this reality that as we love God and we love neighbor and all of our life we are attempting to reflect God and glorify God, we can't help but make disciples. 
And then we see in Acts 1, 8 and 9, Jesus promising to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. By the way, today is Pentecost Sunday. We're celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus' final words to his disciples is this, go be my witnesses. You know what's really freeing about being a witness? Like you don't have to create the message. You don't have to create what you're witnessing to. You get to just say, look at Jesus. Look at him. Don't look at me. Look at him. Witness to him. Witness to his power. Witness to his works. And do it to the ends of the earth. Here to the ends of the earth. And then finally, last text. Habakkuk 2.14. Didn't think I was pulling out a minor prophet, did you? (laughs) Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the end result of all of this. The whole earth is going to be full of the knowledge of the glory of God. Either either upon the return of Jesus and the recreation of the new heavens and the new earth, or when everyone gets saved. And until Jesus returns, we are going to go make disciples. So this is the why. It's important to have the why, the text, the anchor, because we want to stay on mission. We want to stay committed to the mission God has called us to. You, You guys know how compasses work, right? Like, if a compass is but a degree off center over a long period of time, you're not just an inch or two off the, the path, you are miles off path. And if we don't have the scriptures anchoring us and the mission of God anchoring us to what he has called us to, and we don't center our life and our ministry on these texts, our compass is going to be off as a church, and eventually we're going to be miles away from where God wants us to be. And we are committed to staying where God wants us. So broadly, this is why we exist. This is our mission, our aim, our focus, our target. More more narrowly, here is our mission statement as we have crafted, not deviating from the mission of the church, but creating distinction in how we want to communicate it. The mission church is the driving force for who we are. So here it is. Story Church exists to know, live, and share the one true story. Story Church exists to know, live, and share the one true story. So let me break that down for us bit by bit, because each word matters here. We spent a lot of time praying and discerning and considering what God wanted us to communicate in our mission statement. What we wanted to kind of be our bumper lanes to keep us on track for who we want to be and where we want to go. So let me break that down. Story. It begins with story. Name, there's, a, there's a name there, right? And, and, and I've been asked a hundred times over, like, why Story Church? And really, I, I can't answer that question other than the, the Lord really impressed it upon my heart one time to, to call the church that. And then we began thinking and praying, like, man, this has massive cons- like considerations for the day and age we live. What I mean by that is we live in what's called a post-truth society, where your truth, hold on, i got to laugh real quick, because there's shades out here in the middle, because these, these windows, this is so funny. You guys, if you're in the middle, I would not be offended if you moved to the sides. That's awesome. Oh, you guys are good sports. We live in a post-truth society where truth is subjective, not objective, Right? There is no standard set in stone truth, but all truth is within me. And we know that's utter nonsense, but it's the world we live in. And so a lot of traditional ways of communicating God's love and doing evangelism and apologetics just simply does not work in the society that we live in. There's no traditional apologetic way of doing things. And so uh, this, this theologian that I follow says this about stories. He who tells the most beautiful story wins. He who tells the most beautiful story wins. All of us are created for story. All of us are created caught up in a story. All of us find stories compelling and and enticing. And here is what we know. We possess the greatest story ever. Any good story has echoes of, of God's redemptive story. That's all it has. But God's story is the greatest story ever. 
And so we want to take the world that we live in, just the kind of the hand we've been dealt, and say, okay, let's flip it on its head and let's expose false stories and confront those with the true story of the gospel. False stories of materialism that communicate to us that my value is found in how much stuff I own versus the truth of the gospel that my value is found in Christ alone. Stories of of syncretism, where I can be whatever I want to be and I can just add a bunch of things to my life and it's all good and, and there's no judge. But we can communicate there is a true story in the gospel. Stories of individualism, where I get to live how I want to live and no one can keep me in check. I'm fully autonomous, free from authority, which is not true. The Christian faith is a corporate faith. It's a communal faith. Do you realize almost every single time you read you in the New Testament, it's actually y'all? That's the better translation of it. Our English translations don't really do justice to what God's word says to us. Almost every time you read you, you should read it y'all. And you can thank Texas for that. And so we want to confront stories of individualism and say we are created to live with one another in the gospel. And then there's all a bunch of other implications around us. Like, man, I mean, just watch people's lives. They tell their lives through stories, Instagram stories, Facebook stories. I don't know if there's such a thing as Twitter stories, but if there is, they use them. And, and people are just caught up and enticed by stories everywhere. And what we get to do is tell the most compelling, convicting, attractive story in the history of humanity. So that's the first word, story. The next word is is church, all right? What we're going to communicate there is this is not a club. This is not a club. My my pastor in Texas, um, he just went on a three-month sabbatical, and right before he left, um, he preached his kind of final sermon before sabbatical. And the, the whole point of the sermon was that he is seeing the church, especially the church in the South, uh, shift into what he calls arena culture, where someone comes up on stage and performs, and everyone else sits and watches. And, and, and if things don't go perfect, then, well, I guess I better go somewhere else and pay my admission fee. The arena culture is killing the church. And we want to continue to communicate. We are a church. It's not a hobby. It's not a club. What we are doing matters. And we must know who is among us. We must know who is a part of this church. Who am I called to minister to? Who am I called to love? Who am I called to share in life with? Membership matters. We want to communicate that, yes, we are a part of the universal church of God, but we are a specific local church in this time, in this place, for God's will here and now. Story Church exists. We don't exist independent of God's mission. We exist because of God's mission. And we are going to continue to exist because of God's mission. And then we go on to say, know, live, and share the one true story. So we must know the story. We want knowledge of God. We want knowledge of the scriptures. We want knowledge of self. We want knowledge of the world. And we want to have that informed by the true story of the gospel. We must deep dive into the scriptures to know God, to know him rightly, to worship him rightly, to live before him rightly. And then we live the story. We don't just want to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We want to enact the commands of God in our everyday lives. We talked about it last week with gospel centrality. There are implications and application of the gospel. By the way, the recording didn't work last week. I'm sorry. Um, we'll, we'll try and re-record it and, and get it out at some point. But I think this week is working. We got it. So back on track. We want to live the story as well, where we take what we know and it just doesn't terminate in our heads, but it affects our hands and how we live and how we operate in this world. And then we share the story. We give it away. We preach the gospel. We live on God's mission. We don't hoard things into ourselves. And then it concludes, know, live, and share the one true story. One of the... One of the um, the weird things about all of the false stories in the society we live in is they have little shreds of truth in them. Little bits and pieces of truth. But by and large, they are false stories. We have and we possess the only in totality true story. This story is unchanging. It is true. And it is good. This is good 
news for the world. So Story Church exists to know, live, and share the one true story of the gospel. We are going to plaster that everywhere. It's going to end up on one of your foreheads, I promise you that much. And I mean, like Deuteronomy, we'll read it later, bind it to their foreheads, right? And bind the law of God. So this is the law of Story Church, to bind on your foreheads the, the mission statement, that we know, live, and share the one true story. I just want to repeat that until I get sick of saying it and you get sick of hearing it, so you know why we exist. So let me kind of frame up how we uh, see this mission statement fleshing out in the life of our church through each of those categories. When we say we know the story, here is what we mean by that. Here's what we are going to do as a church. We are going to preach and teach the scriptures and only the scriptures. I say this all the time and I'm never going to get tired of saying it. That if we give people God's word, we give them life. If we give them man's opinion, we give them death. I am not going to stand up here and give you some worldly, utter nonsense. But I'm going to stand up here, and whoever stands in the pulpit at Story Church, what you are going to get week after week is the teaching of God's Word. This is our only hope for life. We're also going to do theological equipping. One of my favorite things I got to do at my last church was teach the systematic theology class. Why? Because biblical illiteracy and theological illiteracy is rampant in the church. We do not know our Bible and we do not know our God. And that is killing the church and it's devastating to see. And the mere fact that seminaries exist, and listen, I went to seminary, I'm all for seminaries, means that the local church capitulated on its responsibility to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We want to recover that and bring theological equipping back into the life of the church where we are teaching on biblical theology and systematic theology and historical theology, which are all really big words to say you are going to know God at this church. If you are a part of Story Church, you are going to know God. And we're going to do classes. And these are going to be specific kind of, think Sunday school, think, I don't care what it's called, think Bible study where we step into a book of the Bible and we teach it verse by verse. Apart from the Sunday gathering, where we say, man, we're going to have a class on, uh, I just taught a class in Texas on 1 Samuel. And before that, I did Matthew. We're going to do that at Story Church. Again, we don't want to say no church anywhere is doing it because there are great churches all around us that are doing this kind of stuff. But what we want to do is be serious about knowing God and knowing the story of the gospel. And so we must position ourselves under the faucet of God's word and receive and receive and receive and receive. This is an endless well. We can explore this forever and barely touch the tip of the iceberg. So let's get after God together with our minds. Second, we're going to live the story. We're going to live the story. So again, it's not just terminating in our minds, but it's going to affect our hands and how we live with one another. So we see that fleshing out in four primary ways here at the church. One is through groups. It's through groups in homes throughout the week. This one hour, one and a half hour gathering is simply not enough to sustain you And if classes and theological equipping is the place you learn the Bible, groups is the place where you live the Bible. There are 59 New Testament one another commands, depending on how you count. And the the truth of the matter is, as we gather here on Sunday nights, of those 59, you might be able to accomplish about 32 of them. You might be able to accomplish about 32 of them. Why? Because rows are ineffective and circles are necessary for the flourishing of the believer. Where we get around a living room, we get around a dining room table, and we look each other square in the eye, and we speak words of truth and words of life. We hear one another's story. We speak truth into one another's story. We, we, we bless each other. We rebuke each other. We admonish each other. We mature one another in the faith. And that requires a level of knowledge and love for one another that the weekly gathering just cannot provide. And so we are going to live the story in groups and in homes where you say, I'm going to trust my life and my flourishing in Jesus over to another person. And here's what's really scary about where we find ourselves here and now. We don't all know each other all that well. But we are united in the gospel and we possess the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we have enough. 
We have all that we need to step into that space and say, I am going to be vulnerable with you and I'm going to trust with you my sin and my suffering and my pain. And you, friend, have the opportunity to speak life to me and truth and grace. So we're going to live the story in groups where we live out the Bible and the 59 one another's of the New Testament. We're going to practice family discipleship. And when I say family, I mean that in two words, two senses of that word. Not only the family, uh, individual family unit, like the Cunningham family, but the church family, the family of God, where we are discipling one another. But as it pertains to uh, the, the family unit, we want to recover an ancient practice that maybe some of you that grew up Presbyterian did, called catechism. My daughter is three and she's already memorized the first 10 questions of the New City Catechism. We just, every night at the dinner table, she, she hardly lets five minutes pass before she's like, let's do our questions. And I say, what's our only hope in life and death? And she says that we are not our own, but we belong to God. And every week she is hearing the truth of the scriptures and she is being discipled in the faith. And one day we are praying that she will be converted and baptized and grown in the faith. And so we don't just want to do babysitting. We want to do family discipleship. Now, last week we did just do babysitting because we just had to figure out what was happening. This week, (laughs) this week we did a lesson. Yay! We've already taken a step. We're already getting better. Uh, Miss Jana is teaching the lesson tonight called, uh, so the way it's going to work, let me just clue you in on that. We start in the summer with the Old Testament, and we work all the way to Advent. And then in in the new year, we work through the New Testament, and then we start over, and we just do it again and again and again and again. And we are immersing people, our children, in the story of God on five foundational truths. Tonight's foundational truth is this. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And the other, the other five, I'm going to put myself on the spot. Hopefully I got them memorized. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. God is in charge of everything. God wants to talk to us. Um, keep, going, keep going, guys. Hit me. Um, huh? God made everything and... I put myself on the spot and I failed. Shows how (laughs) there's five foundational truths. Trust me. So tonight on the drive home, you get to ask your kids what was the main point of your lesson, and hopefully they, if they listened, will say Jesus Christ came to save sinners. God is good. That's the fifth one. All the time. So there's family discipleship happening where we want to get into the lives of each other and equip each other to do the work of the ministry. Now, single people and and childless people, here is what I want to communicate to you. You are valuable to that effort. Absolutely valuable. It's not just up to the parents to raise the children. I don't know. I mean, it's in America where we got the idea that we're on our own to do this. But that's never how God intended for the church to live. He intended for us to be in community, raising one another's children. My brother's probably over there spanking my son right now as we speak. And I'm okay with it. I've given him permission to do that. And he doesn't even need permission because he exists for the good of Owen. And we exist for the good and the flourishing and the discipleship of all of each other's children. And I know there's probably parents in the room that are, their skin is crawling right now. I'm not going to spank your kid. Your kid's not going to get spanked here, I promise. <laughs> Unless you do it. Family discipleship. Prayer. What time am I at? All right. Prayer. Man, the way we are going to measure the health of our church, primary way we're going to measure the health of our church is not going to be in our finances, is not going to be the number of butts in a seat, is not going to be in participation in groups or classes. It's going to be in who shows up to pray. We were at a church with 6,000 people attending on a weekend, 4,000 members, and about five to 600 people showed up to prayer night. And that's who we considered a part of our church. Why? Because we are powerless apart from God. We are hopeless apart from God. We cannot meet each other's needs. Only God can meet our needs. Only God can accomplish this mission. Only God can fulfill his will in this world. We cannot do that. So what we are going to do is bow before the throne of grace and plead with him to do what only he can do in our lives, in our hearts, and in our city. So if you want to really be a part of the health of this church, show up to prayer nights. I wish I could advertise when the next one was, but I don't know when it is. So, 
We are going to pray like crazy. And then finally, service. One to another and in our city. One to another and in our city. Again, so much of this is anti-American, where America would disciple us to say, I exist for myself and maybe my family, but mostly just for myself. But we must lay down our lives and exist for the sake of other, serving each other, meeting each other's needs. And that's as simple as helping someone move and get into their home to providing meals for them when they have a baby to providing for them financially or whatever it might be. It might, it might look like you stepping up to serve in a ministry that's in need here. Because someone here needs discipleship and help. So we are going to live out the story by serving in the way Christ served. And then third and finally, share the story. This is where it's all heading. Evangelism, global and local missions, and church planting. You know, far too many churches find themselves um, unhealthy because they have turned inward. They have become navel gazers. But if we constantly fix our eyes upon the overflow of the gospel to reach a lost and dying world, we will attain health. So let's do evangelism. Let's actually share the gospel. Get to know unbelievers. Have them into your home. Practice hospitality. It doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't need to be formulaic. All it needs to be is say, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee and let's talk about Jesus. That's it. That's all you need. And local missions, we're going to serve our city with the gospel. We don't just want to serve our city physically. We do want to do that. But we also want to serve them with the life-altering truth of the gospel, the transformation, transformational truth of the gospel. And through this, so through this summer, we're going to begin rolling out for you ways in which we can corporately do missions together. And here's the problem, I think, sometimes with how we view local mission. We think we're on our own in this. But again, we're called to do this together, to grab hands and say, as a group, we're going to adopt this people group and we're going to go reach them with the gospel. We're going to serve them the gospel. But we're going to roll out some ways this summer in which we can participate in local missions and church planting here. The end result of local missions would be church planting. Man, it's, it's kind of freaky to me as we pull the demographics of who's a part of Story Church. Um, I'm, going to just, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. There's a lot of people that come and drive from the Riverside area to Rancho for this church. And I love that, but I'm praying for a pastor for you. And I'm praying for a church planter so that one day we can say, here's money and people go get started out there. Local church matters. Until then, you're welcome here, but I'm going to push you out the door as quick as we're, we're able to, as soon as we're healthy. All right, cat's out of the bag. Now we got to go do that. It might be five years, might be seven years, might be eight months. Who knows what God has for us? Eight months. Stephen just said, whoa. <laughs> Stephen's running the numbers. We don't have the money to do it, so three years. We're going to do global missions and church planting. Man, we are a part of Acts 29, which is a global network of, of, uh, of, of a family of churches that are dedicated to one issue, church planting. One issue, church planting. There are over 750 churches creeping up on 800 globally. Just about three weeks ago, we had a phone call with a guy named Francisco who's in Guatemala, and he oversees all of Acts 29 Latin America. This past week, he sent me a Google sheet with like 15 Latin American churches that are in desperate need of finances and training. In America, we are just so rich with resources. Like, I can pull up on my, my iPad right now, logo, Logos, whatever it's called, Logos, Logos, however you pronounce it in the Greek, I forgot that already, Logos, where I have thousands of resources, thousands of resources. And Francisco's saying, hey, this church, they need like $1,500 to build a new building. Hey, they need someone to come down and teach their pastor the basics of hermeneutics. Because he's getting up there and he's not even preaching the Bible. Can you help him? And so we didn't say yes yet, but I'm going to say yes soon. And we're going to form a team and we're going to go down to Latin America and we're going to help support churches down there with finances, with training, and with helping them multiply across the globe. 
Why? Because we don't just exist for Rancho. Acts 1.8, we go to the ends of the earth being his witnesses under his power. It's not about us. We are not the pinnacle of God's existence. This is not the only place where God's presence dwells. He dwells across the whole earth, and we want to be a part of seeing church planting efforts across the whole world. So we're going to share the story. So that's it. That's what we're going to do. Know, live, and share in those basic categories. And so, you know, I I kind of talked through this with my wife the other day, and she says, okay, but what about blank? You know, what about this ministry? What about this program? What about this thing? And and all, all we're going to say is we gladly exist to do those few things and do them really well, and we will not be a programmatic church. So we're not going to create a biking group or a hiking group or a sports ministry. Uh, And and that's all good and fine. If you want to do that, go create that on your own. We're not going to give our time and effort and money to go create those things. We are going to stay in our lane and do what God has called us to do. Affinity groups, interest groups, all those kind of things can be damned. We exist. That was probably too harsh. (laughs) Interest groups... I hate them. Intergenerational, multi-ethnic, across the board, getting in group together, not based on interest, but based upon our common cry of Christ Jesus. This is who we are as a church. So the life of a Christian in a way to communicate how we grow and mature as a disciple, because here's the truth about church planting. Church planting is this, plant the gospel, which makes disciples, which then form the church. This isn't about just going out and planning an event or program. This is about planting the gospel and maturing people in the faith. And so the way in which you mature in the faith goes like this, assimilate into the life of Christ be formed into Christ-likeness, and then be mobilized on Christ's mission. Assimilation, formation, mobilization. And here's how our mission statement works along that. Assimilation, you're welcome to weekend services where you're going to hear the gospel, classes, all those kind of things. You will be assimilated into the life of this church and the life of Christ. And then we're going to dive deeper as we study and we grow deep and we get into groups and we practice prayer together and we jump into service with one another and we are formed more into the likeness of Christ. And then the flow just keeps happening as we are evangelistically mobilized with Christ's mission in our city, and to the ends of the earth. Assimilation, formation, mobilization. Now, all of that can be a little bit overwhelming, and there's probably a few responses in your mind right now. Four that I can think of. One, I'm exhausted thinking about all of that. Number two, I don't do much of that, so I need to shrink back in a little bit of shame. Number three, creating a mental checklist where you can begin checking off what you've accomplished so you can compare with others and feel better about yourself. Or four, take off because you don't like being told what to do or how to participate in a church, even by God himself. But we want to curb all of those responses by talking about two things, identities and rhythms. Identities and rhythms. And none of this is original to me, by the way. Identities and rhythms. Identity says who you are in Christ, and rhythms form how you live because of Christ. So first, let's talk about our identities, how we can curb some of those responses of being overwhelmed or ashamed or fearful. First, identities. It's understanding who you are in Christ. Have we been saved for good works? Ephesians 2.10. Yes, you have been saved for good works. Have you been saved by your good works? Absolutely not. You have been saved by the good work of Jesus alone. You have not been saved by your good works, but you have been saved unto good works. You have been saved by the person and work of Jesus Christ, and he has purchased for you a new identity, a new heart. You are an entirely new creation in Christ Jesus. Some some, uh, words the New Testament would use to describe the believer. You go from being a sinner to being a saint. A saint is not something you just attain after a lifetime of holiness. The instant you are converted in Christ, you are a saint. You go from being a prisoner enslaved to your sin to free and liberated by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are free. You go from being an orphan without a family to being a child of God, having an eternal father and brothers and sisters in Christ forever. 
You go from being a debtor in your sin, a debt so steep you could never pay it off, to being spiritually rich in Christ Jesus, having eternal inheritance that is beyond comprehension. You go from being enemies of God, where you rebelled against him, you shook your fist at him, and you used cuss words about him, to being a citizen of his kingdom and a friend of Jesus. You go from being a, a slave to a servant. You go from being an aimless wanderer to being a sent one with the gospel, with a purpose. These are our new identities. So why do, why do our identities matter to this mission statement conversation? Because we never want you to get the wrong idea about our mission statement. That if you just so happen to accomplish knowing, living, and sharing the story, then all of a sudden you're going to be good and loved in our sight and in the sight of God. That is simply not true. I hope to never communicate that to you. Instead, we want these things to inform and draw out our already there identities. You are loved, freed, adopted, cherished, and delighted in by God and by us. And our mission statement is designed to draw that out in you. That if you know who God is and you know who you are in Christ, that will change the way you live. That Christ has already saved you. He's sanctifying you and sent you with him into this world. We want you to live the truth of the gospel in everyday life as a citizen of his kingdom and a servant of his purposes. And we want you to share the world-changing, life-altering, sin-shattering news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, one, the news that has already changed your life. Your identity is already set in stone because of Christ Jesus. Your identity is as sure as Jesus' occupation of the throne is. And he's not going anywhere. Your identity ain't going anywhere either. So if you are rock solid in who you are in Christ Jesus, then this mission statement actually becomes liberating because it shows you how then shall I live in response. But if your identity is not there, you're going you're gonna to exhaust yourself trying to grab at and accomplish these things. And when you fail, you're going to beat yourself up and you're never going to feel the freedom and peace and satisfaction that comes with the gospel of Jesus. So your identity matters deeply. So does your rhythms. I've always had a question. Why in all of life does everything we participate in have really manageable rhythms, but then when it comes to the church, it's like, man, we own your calendar. We own your life. If you become a member of Story Church, man, you are enslaved to us. Like, why is it that everything has rhythms? Like, school has rhythms all the way down to elementary school, right? A little bit of teaching, recess. A little bit of teaching, recess. A little bit of teaching, recess. And then you go home. You might do your homework. Probably not. But then you come back the next day after resting. Work. You get time off at work. Hopefully you get time off at work unless you're a workaholic. You're 15 minutes flanking lunch. Boom, you got a rhythm there. Sports, there's a season and there's an off season, right? Where you recuperate and rest and you're restored. This, the list goes on and on and on. And then we get to the church and we act like rhythms are out the window. That we own every waking second of yours and probably some of the sleeping ones too. Does God demand all of our lives as a living sacrifice to him? Yes, absolutely, he does. Is the only way to please him in that by doing only church-related activities? Absolutely not. No. We want to rhythm the way in which we accomplish these things. Listen to Deuteronomy 6. We'll see rhythms on display here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. We just heard that, right? And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when, you're, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Did you catch the rhythms in there? As you go, as you sleep, as you rise, as you eat. To bring it into kind of our society, the way in which we can accomplish knowing and living and sharing the story is as you drive to work and you're carpooling with someone, 
Share the gospel with them. As you're eating lunch, try not to do it alone. Invite someone else in. Study the word together. As you have dinner, don't just do dinner alone. Invite your next door neighbor over. You'd be shocked at how people respond to invitations if we're actually faithful enough to extend them. We're like really terrified to walk over to our neighbor's house and be like, hey, you want to come over for dinner? They'd be like, yeah, we've been thinking that for like months now. How long have you lived here? I've never even met you. Just invite people over. Your normal rhythms, as you're texting with someone, as you're on the phone with someone, as the Lord brings someone to mind, pray for them and shoot them a text or call them. There's rhythms to how we know, live, and share the story. So what I'm trying to say is don't create this list where we're like, okay, went to church, went to class, went to group, did family discipleship, served, prayed, did all those things, and now I'm good. No, we think that all contributes to healthy discipleship and we want you to participate in those things, but we want to do it in a way that is appealing to every life stage and life place that you find yourself in. So we're going to rhythm those things. What that might look like as we go forward is, is groups are probably going to take seasons off. We're around Christmas time. It's like, hey, let's just chill out for a little while and enjoy our families and friends. We don't, we don't feel this need to over-torque your calendar and say groups are meeting 52 weeks a year. If you want to do that, that's great. I'm all for that. You can take the summer off. Take July off. Take a rest month. For classes, it's, it's going to look like, you know, we're, we're in 12-week periods, and then we take some time off in another 12-week period. Now, I'm just kind of, like, thinking out loud right now. But what I'm saying is we're going to rhythm all of this and how it might work out here. And the question I'm always thinking through my mind is this. Can this work for my wife, who's a stay-at-home mom, of two young kids, works 15 hours a week from home, and can this work for, for Scott, who commutes an hour and a half and works long hours? Can it work for both people? And if it can, then we found some kind of rhythm that's healthy for everyone. So we're going to rhythm our church as well. So let me kind of loop back around as we, we close down. We're going to spend a minute in prayer and just communicate this to you. As Story Church exists to know, live, and share the one true story. Capture that phrase, the one true story. Dwell on that. Sit in that. That's the gospel. The gospel is both the end of our church and the means in which we get to the end of our church. The gospel is everything in the life of our church. It is the pathway of healthy discipleship. It is what healthy disciples are dwelling upon and growing in and what we know and what we live and what we share. So stay in the gospel, brother and sister. Hold fast to the gospel. Christ is holding fast to you. Hold fast to the good news of what Jesus Christ is doing in this world and what he has done for you. So we exist to know, live, and share the one true story. So next week, we're going to begin jumping into our our values. Our four values, the ways in which we're going to um, kind of work this out in the life of our church. So you see our four values there. Word, prayer, community, and mission. So next week, we're going to jump into being a word-driven church. And then the following week, Pastor Chris Lewis is going to come from Foothill, and he's going to give us the nuts and bolts of how we can actually apply that. So I'm going to teach a theology of the Word next week, and we're going to dive deep on on what God's Word is and how it applies to our life. And then Chris is going to come in, and he's going to equip us with the tools of how to apply that to our life. And here's what I, like, don't miss that week. If you've never listened to Foothill Church's preaching and Chris's preaching, like, do it. Like, go down that po- download that podcast. Dude is incredible. Um, and he, so he's, I'm just like pumping him up, so hopefully he comes prepped. He probably doesn't even need to prep. He's just going to like bust it out and kill it. Um, but Chris is coming June 23rd to, to do a training for us on how then we can apply that value to our church. And then we're just going to keep working our way down our values over the course of the next six weeks or so. So before we go, um, I want us to spend a little bit of time in prayer. So again, we're going to group up together, get it with a couple people around you. And, and here's a few prayer points I want us to consider. Pray that you would know the story more clearly. 
the gospel of Jesus. Pray that God would clarify what it is to you in your mind and in your heart. Pray that you would live the story more fully, that you would yield yourself to God's use, and that you would share the story more faithfully, that you would be bold enough to open your mouth and share the gospel with someone else. Pray for your identity to sink in and for your rhythms to reflect godliness, not worldliness. There's several prayer points there. I just wanted to get you started. If one captures your attention, spend some time on that. Pray that if, if, not, if the other ones don't capture your attention, just ignore them. That's okay. We want the Spirit to convict and to draw out our prayers. So get in groups of two or three and spend about five minutes in prayer, and then I'm going to come up and, and close us. So, Father, we, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1.15 is true, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. We were all lost and are dead, lost and dead in our sins and trespasses, but we were made alive together with Christ Jesus because you, God, are rich in mercy and you sent your son on a divine rescue mission. I thank you for that. I thank you for all the stories represented here, the stories of redemption and, and restoration and reconciliation. And I pray, God, we would be people who have your story on our lips, your story that has informed our story. Your story that has changed our stories. Your story which trumps all of our stories. Your story which is the liberating, freeing, all-satisfying, joy-inducing story. I thank you for that story, God. I pray, God, you would make us into a church who knows your word and knows your story deeply. I pray you would make us into a church and into a people who live your story in all of life. And I pray, God, you would make us into people who faithfully share your story with others. We don't have hope for the world. You, God, are the hope of the world. So we can share you, God, as hope for the world through sharing the story of the gospel. So God, I pray you would cause our identities to sink in, who we already are in Christ, not who, not who we're trying to become if we just fulfill things not trying to morally put ourselves up against each other by accomplishing a checklist, but sitting in who we are because of what Christ has done. And I pray, God, you would cause us to rhythm our lives in a way that leads to sustainable, lasting rhythms that we can live and share the story, not from an exhausted state, but from a joyful state. So God, we pray that you would do these things and the overflow of all of these things would be more disciples in Rancho, more churches planted across the IE, more missionaries sent to the ends of the earth, more gospel outposts started from here to Beirut, to Argentina, to Australia, to China, to Canada, and wherever else, God, you would have us go and support. So we thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst. I pray, God, that as we go, we would go with the gospel, our understanding, our grasp of, and our inaction of your gospel. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.